our scriptures read, What then? Only that in every way, whether in presence or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by by death. And read this one sentence testimony that is probably the greatest testimony in all of uh, it written by any man. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me... You, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming in you, to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and, are, and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the truth of the gospel and not frightened in anything By your opponents, that is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Chad, would you go back to verse number um, 21? I want us to I want us to read this together. I want us to read this together in unison and let's do it now. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Maybe you've been going through a difficult time in life, a challenging time in life. Maybe you have been in a place of difficulty, and someone come to you and try to encourage you and use a phrase similar to this. Um, Every cloud has a silver lining. When life deals you lemons, make lemonade. Maybe you've gone through heartbreak. Maybe maybe when you were younger, you lost a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and somebody would come to you and say, Ah, you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Or time heals all wounds. Did any of that help? Not at all. Not at the time. Didn't help a bit. You were heartbroken and you thought the world was going to end and it never was going to go again and that all the fish in the sea were against you. We know sometimes these words can ring very hollow during some of life's challenges. When careers collapse. When our children are hurt. When tragedy happens suddenly, when we hear the word cancer, we know sometimes these words can ring very hollow. But through the scriptures and through our study this morning, looking at these verses, 
God has allowed us to see through Scripture, through the life of Jesus Christ, that suffering and difficulty are a part of each person's life. It's going to happen. At the Apostle Paul is concerned with the church at Philippi. He's concerned about their concern for him and his imprisonment. He's concerned about some of the sufferings and difficulties that they've gone through. And he writes this letter to them to be an encouragement to them, to be a hope to them, to bring joy to their lives. And in this letter, he tells them, he encourages them to examine his life, but more importantly, the life of Christ, to know how to deal with difficulties that they may be facing. So this morning we want to look at some things that difficulty teaches us to do. And first of all, difficulty teaches us to look around. The Bible scholar Gene Getz says this. He says, when we face various challenges in life, we are to draw our strength not only from Christ's love and mercy, but from the love we have from one another. The love we have from one another. We draw love from one another. I want you to turn in your scriptures to the parable of the PVC pipe. It's Hezekiah 3.16, Danny. 3.12, all right? This weekend I learned the, the parable of the PVC pipe. I want to share it with you. If you went to Shaco Springs, I, I was sitting in a, comp, in a breakout session with Gene Smith, and I, I slapped him on the arm and said, that works perfect with my sermon. And Gene looked and said, you don't know nothing about a PVC pipe. But our lives are very similar, as our lives as Christians are very similar to this PVC pipe. Holding it here in this, mo- this morning in my hand, this PVC pipe serves a purpose. But apart from its source, has no purpose. But what, what, what normally happens is this PVC pipe is connected to a source of water on one end. And it serves as the conduit and the flow to someone or some people who have a need for that water that's connected on the other end. And as the man explained it this weekend and did such a great job with it, he said our lives as Christians are very similar to this. When we, before our lives in Christ, we were just, a, just an instrument there. But there was a moment when we became connected to God the Father. And he connected to us in such a way And he had a purpose for our lives. And our purpose is to take the love and the care and all the wonderful attributes of God and to let those things flow through us so that they splash on other people and so that they share the life of Christ with other people. And so this morning, I want you to remember this week, every time you see a PVC pipe, I want you to think, My life as a Christian is similar to that. I have a connection to God, and God is my source of strength and power, and he's the source of love in my life, and he's the source of goodness in my life, and he wants those things to flow through me, and he wants me to be able to share those things with the lost and dying and hurting and thirsty world that that I live in. No matter where we are, no matter what our job, no matter where we're in school, no matter what's going on, I want you to think about that and remember that your your pastor is a master plumber. Amen? Remember the parable of the PVC pipe. Don't call me 
about plumbing issues. But here's, we are not in this alone. Isn't that wonderful to know this morning? We're not in this alone. God didn't call me to Christ and God didn't save my soul and set me on an island and say, you just stay right here until you until I call you home, until you draw your last breath. I've saved you, and now you just sit down, and you just wait on me to call you home. No, he put me in the midst of a group of people. He put me around other Christians, and I became a part of a community of believers. It was amazing how immediately Scott Maddox and Chris Posey got with me, and they began to share with me and began to disciple me and began to help me to grow. It's amazing. Bree and I were recounting yesterday with a group of people about how I was saved, and Bree was telling some people that she was with, that I was friends with. I'd, I had gotten saved, and Bree was telling some people, I just don't want to live this life anymore. I want something different. And one of them said, you know, Michael Ingram got saved. And Bree said uh, just a couple of weeks ago when she became a Christian, a couple of weeks later, not just a couple of weeks ago that she became a Christian, but a couple of weeks later when she became a Christian, she called me. And I remember going to, uh, she was working at Lusk Animal Clinic. And she was there and I went in and I walked back there where she was and she was washing dog bowls out. And I remember we talked and, and we, we began to talk to each other. And we started, uh, we became really good friends. Bree didn't like me before then. It took Jesus to cause her to like me. But I remember going home and telling my mom, she looked like an angel. Her whole appearance had changed. And God put me in a group of people like that, and he immediately let me know, you're not in this alone. You've got people. There's other people. There are people praying for you. My mother had anybody that, my mom and dad, anybody that had breath, they had them praying for me. I immediately knew I wasn't in this alone. And Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. He's saying, you are not in this alone. I am here alone by myself, but I know that I'm not in this alone because of you and because of your love for me. The love of Christ had flown, uh, had, had flown through Paul to be a blessing to the church at Philippi. He knows because of this relationship. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Look at those three words there. Through your prayers. Paul is separated geographically 800 miles from the church at Philippi. He's in a, under house arrest in Rome. They are there 800 miles away from him across the Mediterranean Sea. Yet, but because of the prayers of the Philippians, he says, I never feel alone because of your prayers. I think about mission trips that I've been on. I've been on some foreign mission trips where everything in the world that could go wrong goes wrong. And everything just begin to fall apart just really quick. And, and some of you have been on those trips with me. And, and here's what I, I immediately begin to think. There's a church back in Piedmont that's praying for me. Everything's going to work out. There's a church back in Piedmont that's praying for me. Kaylee and Darby and Pam shared their testimony a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night. They had great difficulty getting from where they were in Haiti to the airport. They almost didn't get there. And there were great challenges that, that were going on. But at the time that those things were happening, 
we knew as a church we were praying for them to make it to the airport and to get on a plane and to make it safely home. The prayers, we're never alone. We're always praying for each other. Paul continuously, he says, I know that I'm going to be, I'm not alone because you are praying for me. He knew they would pray. In verse number 27, he says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul said, I know, I, I have stood firm with you. I've been side by side with you. And I know that you have the manner of life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. They shared a great desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone that they knew. They had this in common with Paul. That was their great desire to do that. Well, let me ask you a question. Who are you asking to pray for you? Who are you asking to pray for you? When you are asking other people to pray, when you are facing a challenge, a difficulty, or, or no matter what's going on, who are the people? Think about that for just a minute. Who are those people that you ask to pray for you? Now think about this. Why? Why do you ask those people to pray for you? Maybe they're the people in your Sunday school class. Maybe they're the people that you've been in a Sunday school class with for years. And you've heard their experiences, and you've shared your experiences, and you know those things, and you trust those people, and those are the people that you immediately turn to and say, hey, will you pray for me? What do you know about their lives that would make you ask them to pray for you? It's probably because you, just like Paul and the Philippians, you have worked side by side with them. You've stood firm with them, and you have witnessed a maturity in their Christian life that has caused you to say, will you pray for me? But let me ask you an even bigger question this morning. Who are you looking to pray for? Who are you looking to pray for today? Are you, are you constantly with your spiritual antenna up looking and saying, how can I pray for this person? One of our members here this morning, I got up real early this morning and the first thing I saw was one of our members who suffers greatly from insomnia, saying, I haven't slept in days, please pray for me, or, or something to the effect, pray for the other people who are around me. That was just what they said. So I prayed for them because I have been there. I've suffered through that. I know what it's like. So I prayed for that. I was looking, and I, and I prayed for that, for that person this morning. Who are you looking to pray for? Who are you looking to help? And to what length are you going to help that person? Look at verses 21 through 24 here, what Paul says. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But here's, look at this. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, this, didn't, this isn't just coming from anybody. This is coming from the Apostle Paul. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul, he's saying here, if I live, it's gain. if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. The Apostle Paul has a different perspective on this because he had been called up to where at one point? Come on, Bible scholars, he'd been called up to where? Paul had actually been called up to heaven. Paul had actually, the Holy Spirit had actually called Paul up to heaven. He had actually had a glimpse of heaven. 
And Paul knew he had because he had a desire. He's thinking, boy, if I, oh man, I'm going to heaven when this life is over. And he he understands that better than anybody who's ever written. He under he understands that. He he writes and says, there's things I, I can't I can't say and I can't write about. But he says, in in spite of knowing all that, because it is better for you, I'll, I'll stay here for your account. I'll go and stay here. I would rather be here to be a help to you. His greatest desire is to be with Jesus, but he realizes he's of greater benefit if he's here helping the Philippians understand and grow in their relationship with the Lord. So difficulty teaches us but to look around and then difficulty teaches us to look ahead. Dr. Jeff Org says this, whether he lived or died, Paul was convinced Christ would be exalted through him. He saw both positive and negative circumstances as being conducive to glorifying Christ. Look back at verses 19 and 20. Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now think about that word deliverance. Paul's saying at some point, no matter what happens, I'm going to be delivered from whatever struggle it is I may be going through. And I want you to understand that at some point you're going to be delivered from whatever struggle you're going through. I call it the, this, um, it's, all, it's, it's going to be all right. When people ask me how I'm doing, I, I tell them, it's gonna be, I'm going to be all right. It may be when I collapse in the arms of Jesus, but I, I'm going to be all right. It's going to, at some point, everything's going to work out, and it's going to be all right. It's the greatest theology that I know. Paul says this. I, I've gone through a lot of things, but he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says, whatever you're going through right now, it's a light momentary affliction in comparison with all of eternity and the weight of glory that's going to be there waiting on you. Now think about Paul's light momentary affliction. Later on this afternoon, write this down, 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 32. Go and look at Paul's light momentary affliction. Paul received 195 stripes on his back from the Roman government because he wouldn't stop preaching about Jesus Christ. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was in hunger and thirst, cold and exposure. And he says, and oh, by the way, I have the anxiety of all the churches that I serve on top of all that. Paul, that was Paul's light momentary affliction. So later on when you're thinking about whatever it is you're going through, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and think, boy, I'll try, I don't want to trade with Paul. I'll keep this burden I have. But Paul says this, he's saying all these things, he's saying allow this to develop you spiritually. Allow this to take you to a place of maturity in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. James, in, in James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations because it is working in you to take you to a greater place. Now, back in verse number 18, we went back and picked this up from last week. Paul begins this discourse with what then? It would have been easier for Paul to say, why me? 
But Paul never says, why me? He, he, he basically says, why not me? He says, what then? He's, these are my circumstances. This is the situation I'm in. How can God get, how can my life give glory to God in the situation where I am? In verse number 20, he goes on and he says, um, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. He said, I'm embracing this eagerly. I'm here in prison. I will get the opportunity to share the gospel with a governor, a king. I will get to share the gospel with all these guards who are here. People come in and out and see me. And I'm going to take eagerly take advantage of the situation where I am to share the gospel with these people, to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do it with full courage because I'm looking ahead because I know that after all these things, whatever difficulties I have, heaven is my home. Heaven is my home. I was speaking with someone last night, and, and I said, you know, this is, the, this is the one thing I know for sure. I have one certainty about this life. I, am, I have a home in heaven, and nothing is going to stop me from getting there. I have a home in heaven that is mine, that is secure, and that is where I'm headed. And no matter what happens in this life, I can look ahead and know that that's where my home is. And so I meet things with eager expectation, knowing that this is a brief existence and my home is in heaven. Now, I'll probably never face the intense persecution or the prospect of death that Paul is facing here because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know and understand that no matter what our situation is, God wants to minister to us no matter what kind of suffering we're facing. If it is important to us, it is important to God. Whatever my children are going through, it is deeply, it deeply affects me in my heart. I am God's child, and whatever I'm going through, it deeply affects God in His heart. And He cares for me, and He's going to minister to me through these situations. I think about people who suffer serious illnesses and disease for prolonged periods of time, people who suffer great tragedies in this life, and I watch them walk through these things, and I see them walk through them because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the relationship that they have with the Lord Jesus Christ and the prayers of other people and their ability to look ahead and to know that through this that they have, their relationship with Christ is strengthening and that someday their home is in heaven. One thing I know about this life is this. Life is not fair. Life is not fair because sin exists in this world. It's a fallen and broken world. But life, the, the, the message that life is always good and fair is a lie from Satan where the preaching and teaching of God's word is concerned because we know that sometimes we'll go through suffering. Claude King told a story that I heard this weekend. Claude King is a writer for Lifeway, helped develop uh, some of the materials with uh, Blackaby and some of the other materials that we've used here in our church. And Claude King told a story of going to a small church in Texas to preach a revival. And he said he got there a little bit early that morning, that Sunday morning, and he slipped into the sanctuary, and the pastor, whose name was Mark, 
was teaching a pastor Sunday school class. And he said, as I stood at the back of that sanctuary and I listened to Pastor Mark preach, he said, immediately I knew that I was in the presence of the most humble man that I had ever met in my life. And he said, I listened to him teach his Sunday school class. When the Sunday school class was over, I went to the pulpit to put my Bible and my notes down, and I looked on the front pew, and he said, there sat a young boy whose fingers were nubs and had been burned terribly, had great scars all over his face. And he said, I immediately felt compassion for this young man. He said, I preached my sermon. I went on, I went to lunch with Pastor Mark, and, and he told me, that the young man sitting on the front pew was his youngest son. And he said that earlier in their life, he had been called, he and his family had been called after seminary to be missionaries in the nation of Ecuador. And while they were there, they'd only been there for a short while, he and his family were at a gas station pumping gas, and a spark ignited and blew up the gas tank. Immediately, his oldest son was killed, and his younger son was burned over nearly all of his body. He said the next day they went through the painful process of putting his deceased son on a plane along with his son who was living, and they put him on a medevac plane, and they flew him back to the States for his living son to go through 14 excruciating surgeries and to bury his oldest son. Later on, after a while, they went back to Ecuador but he said everywhere they looked and everywhere they went, it brought them great grief and sorrow, and they just knew that they weren't, wouldn't be able to fulfill and accomplish their mission there. So they came back home, moved to the state of Texas, where he graduated from seminary, and he began to look for a church to pastor. Two years went by, no churches had called. He'd worked um, odd jobs and different things to try to support his family. They'd struggled greatly financially. And finally, this small church in this small town in Texas called him and said, we really don't know why we're calling you. We don't have need for a, a preacher who can speak Spanish, but we're going to call you anyway because we really just don't have anybody else. And so he went there under those circumstances, and he said within a week, a hospital called him and said, hey, we understand that you speak Spanish. We have a Spanish patient here who is in need of an emergency appendectomy. We can't communicate with him. Can you come and talk to him? And so he knew that he had a ministry there to develop. But Claude King said that through the next couple of years, this pastor suffered so greatly in this church. He began to explain to Claude King some of the things that had happened in this church. The church was 40 years old, had had eight pastors, they had two of the pastor's pictures up in the hallway. They wouldn't put the other six up because they didn't like those guys. And they'd had three splits in the last 12 years, and they blamed it on the last six pastors that they had. And so Pastor Mark told Claude, he said, I'm, he said I just, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. I just struggle here, and I, I'm, I'm just miserable. But I know that God has called me to be here. And so Claude King said that afternoon he began to prayer walk around that church. And he began to cry out to God and he, say, he said, Lord, this is the most humble, dedicated, spiritual man that I've ever met in my life. And he suffered so many things, so many tragedies, so many setbacks, so many things have happened to him. Why, Lord, are you allowing these things to continue to happen to him? Why won't you deliver him from these? 
And Claude King said that the Lord immediately spoke to him, and he said he knew it was the voice of God that said, Have you ever met another man who resembled my son more than this pastor that you've met? And Claude King said in the middle of his prayer walk, he stopped and he confessed, No, I haven't, God. And he said, I have brought him here, and there's things for him to do, but he has developed the mind of Christ, the mind of my son, in a way that no one else can understand. Claude King left after that revival. The pastor implemented some new things. They began to meet and to pray and to, and to do things a little bit differently. And within about a year, he called Claude King and he said, Claude, I need you to come back and help me to do some discipling. He said, this past Sunday morning, 21 people came during the invitation and gave their life to Christ. And he said, I need your help. Come here and help me. This church has never had anything like this happen. And I need you to come help me to teach these people how to become disciples. Now, what if Pastor Mark at some point had said, I've had enough, God. I give up. I'm walking away. Can't do this. But he allowed through all those difficulties and circumstances. Now this church is flourishing. The church that, so one of the churches that formed as a split off of this church, these two churches have come together and had revivals together. And God is doing miraculous great things there. I say all that to say that Pastor Mark had the ability to look beyond the circumstances where he was to realize that God, it was God's will for him to be where he was in every situation and that he lived his life with the e eager expectation of giving his life away to Christ and seeing other people come to Christ as a result. Difficulty teaches us to look ahead, to look for God's will in our life, to allow God to use challenges and difficulties to grow us and mature us and to show us His will. Paul said these are light momentary afflictions. You're only going to be here for a little while. Endure these things. Grow through these things. Keep your faith in God and know that heaven is your home. Difficulty teaches us to look ahead, but difficulty also teaches us to look above. I love this scripture here in Hebrews 4.15. Memorize this scripture. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our own weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a high priest. We don't have another man that we're going to and saying, these are my difficulties, these are my challenges, these are my sins, these are the things that I'm going through. And that person in their own human ability not be able to understand and sympathize with us. But we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who came, who condescended to this earth, took on human flesh so that he would be able to sympathize with every weakness that we have. We see Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus and the scriptures tell us clearly that Jesus cried openly. And we say, how could the creator of the universe have emotion to cry? But we know that if Jesus didn't have the ability to come to tears, that someday he wouldn't be able to wipe away our tears because he wouldn't understand. 
So we look to him and we know that he sympathizes with us. He knows our weaknesses. He sees our weaknesses. He knows everything that we go through. He has been here. He has lived them. Do you have difficulties? We don't have difficulties like Jesus. We don't have difficulties that Jesus faced. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with those men who are following him, knowing that those men who are with him aren't even able to stay there and pray with him for a little while, knowing that in just a little while they're going to desert him and leave him. And he prays to the Father in great agony. The Bible tells us that he prays to the point that where his sweat became like great drops of blood, and he says to the Father, if there's any way for you to take this cup from me, please take it. But he more importantly says, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will be done. We'll never face a difficulty like Jesus Christ faced there in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he's going to a crucifixion, a, the most cruel death that anyone could go to, knowing that he's never sinned, knowing that there's no sin in him, but knowing that at that moment he will carry the weight of every single sin that will ever be committed, and that during those hours while he's there on the cross, knowing that the Father can't look on sin, and knowing that the Father's going to have to turn away from him, and knowing that he's going to be there in those moments bearing our sins for us, We've never faced difficulty like that. We've never faced challenge like that. Not like Jesus. And Paul says here in verse number 19 that it is through your prayers, but more importantly, it is through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Because he says this, Jesus understands my suffering. Jesus understands my pain. Jesus understands my sorrow. Jesus is with me in each and every situation that I will go through. Paul says, I need your prayers, but more importantly, I need the help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I need to apply both of these things to every aspect of my pain and suffering that I will face. Flip over just a page to Philippians chapter 4. And Paul, in his closing statements here, to the church at Philippi. He says these words to them. Beginning in verse number 6. He gives them instruction. And he says do not be anxious about anything. That's a big task isn't it? I have an anxious nature. But he says do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God do not be anxious about anything what uh, what what does anything what what does anything mean <laughs> everything I've tried my I, I have tried my hardest in my simple Greek knowledge to try to put to try to find a loophole in anything and everything there's not one there, there's not Darren, you may have found one, but I haven't found one. Anything and everything mean anything and everything. But what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, take your anything, give your anything to the everything of God's power. Give your anything to the everything of God's power 
And just a little bit further down there in verse number 7, he says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I never did like algebra, but man, that's a good equation right there. I'm sorry, math teachers. Give that, look at that equation. Give your anything to, every, to the everything of God's power, and it comes out to the peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. I don't know how y'all sitting there. Oh. What have you been through? What are you going through? What difficulty are you facing? We could sit here from, from right now this moment until Friday afternoon, probably, us going around the room and telling, this is my anything. This is what I'm going through. This is the difficulty I'm having. This is the situation I'm in. Paul says right here, take that anything and give it to God's everything. And let God give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, there was a time when I had any, anything you could think of that was morally corrupt, anything you could think of that was socially bankrupt, anything that you could think of that was sinful and horrible, I had that anything in me. And there was a moment in time where God's Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and pointed me to Jesus and said, take those anything and give them to God's everything and I'll make you a new person. Right now, right now where you sit, what's your anything? What, what's the anything that you have? What's the sin that you think, I, I, I can't be forgiven? What's the sin that's holding you down? What's the sin you're struggling with? What's separating you from the love of God? Stop it. Don't let it happen. Don't leave this sanctuary this morning. Don't leave here holding on to any of those sins. Don't let anything in your life keep you from knowing the complete forgiveness of repenting and giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please don't let it happen. Please don't leave here knowing that. I can give you testimony from my life and from the life of Bree. And I can tell you that he can take the blackest heart and he can change it. And he can, he can, he can give you new life. And your life that is so sinful, he can get glory from that life. And I'm going to tell you this. Whether you give your life to him or not, someday you're going to give him glory. Because Paul says, he tells the church, he says, someday every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why wouldn't you do it now while you have breath and life? Why wouldn't you do it now while you have the opportunity? I'm so grateful that God was gracious in giving me mercy and allowing me to know Christ as my Savior. Right now, before Darren even ever gets here, if you know that shoe, come on. Come right now. Come right now. And give your life to Christ. I'll meet you right here. I'll take scripture. And we won't leave this building until we know that you know Christ as your Savior. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters this morning. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. Anything else that's going on, what matters is your eternity. Don't miss it. Please don't miss it. I am. I have held the hand of those 
who are leaving this life who would look at me and say, Michael, I wish you knew what I know right now. I wish you knew the peace that I know right now. I wish you understood what I understand right now. I've held those people. I've held as their hands grow cold and they leave this life. I have listened to them beg the Lord and say, Lord, please hurry up. I want to go home. I long to be with Jesus. But he's left me here. He's put me here. He's spared me to be here to give my life for others. Please don't leave this morning without knowing Christ as your Savior. Would you stand, Father, please? Through your Holy Spirit, speak to hearts and lives this morning. Father, please, this morning, allow those of us who know Christ as our Savior to take these moments and to pray. Maybe, maybe people want to start coming here to these altars already and begin to pray for those who need to know Jesus. But Father, this is the most important moment in someone's life. Father, I pray that they will be able to leave pride, prejudice, anger, hurt, whatever it is they need to leave. I pray that they would leave it and grab your hand and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know what it is to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. I want to know that. Father, for those here this morning who know that and need to be obedient and go through the waters of baptism, for those who know that and know that they need to join and be a part of this fellowship, whatever decision it is, I'll have others who will come and help them. But Father, don't let us leave here lost. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please.